Welcome back to So Many Instruments, So Little Time. We took the summer off to do all kinds of musical things and some non-musical things like get COVID and recover. I am your host, Michael Norsworthy in New York City, along with my co-host... Josh Johnson in London, England. And Josh, we are here to talk today about a company that is a little bit near and dear to our hearts, but that you also have a really wonderful affiliation and collaboration with. And that company is? That company is TJ Flutes, uh, formerly known as Trevor James. TJ has been manufacturing flutes for quite some time and has more recently gotten into the saxophone market, but we are going to save the saxophones for a totally different podcast. So, Josh... You are a TJ artist, is that right? That is correct. If you go to the TJ website and go to the artist page, you will see my silly face in a silly jacket holding uh, my TJ wood flute and my TJ B-foot alto flute. Right. And I am also the proud owner of a TJ alto flute and a TJ piccolo. So... I'm not an artist because God knows why would any flute company pay me to be an artist for them because playing the flute is somewhat of a mystery to me. <laughs> well, they don't pay me either. Well, I I do it when people write enough zeros on the, you know, on the back end of the check and, you know, we just sort of hope and pray for the best. So, in any case, um a little bit of history about TJ Flutes, Josh, please. Sure. So TJ Flutes was founded by a man named Trevor James. Trevor James uh, is a real person about 40 years ago in the early 80s. And from the beginning of the company, the aim has been to provide quality instruments to students at a really reasonable price. And I think they have done a very admirable job with that aim in the last 40 years or so, particularly recently. Some of the the things that I have heard about TJ Flutes, and I don't know whether you can confirm or deny, they have become, yes, obviously very popular with beginner students and intermediate students, but also extraordinarily popular with doublers. And I think probably one of the things that they have really become known for is their harmony flutes, the alto and the bass flutes. Absolutely correct. In fact, you will find Trevor James' alto and bass flutes on many of the concert stages of the world. I know people in major orchestras who play on Trevor James' alto and bass flutes. You will certainly find them in recording studios and Broadway and West End pits um, and anywhere theater orchestras can be found. Um, They really have just made incredible inroads with the harmony flutes around the world because they are incredibly affordable and they do sound really nice. Right. And so before we get into the models of flutes, let's talk a little bit about TJ and social media, because as I recall you saying a while ago, TJ is one of the only companies that has sort of fully leveraged the power of social media. And can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Trevor James is absolutely like the undisputed king in the musical instrument brand social media game. And I, I mean, really across all different instruments, I can't think of another manufacturer that has done as great of a job with their social media as TJ has. And that is all down to their managing director, Jean-Paul Wright, uh, who is a wonderful, clever human being and also a very dear friend of mine. 
Uh, and he is the person behind the social media. And he actually takes all the pictures and writes all the posts and responds to all the comments and all of the DMs, which is pretty spectacular, I think. But he, a long time ago, saw the value of social media when it was still in its sort of infancy as a way to directly interact with the end user of the product and get feedback and sort of see what people wanted. Uh, and I think they've been extremely successful in that regard. Jean-Paul, first of all, hi, Jean-Paul. We love you. And, so much. But Jean-Paul is also probably the only person that I think I may have never met because Jean-Paul and I have never met. But I think he's the only person that can create an entire social media account with God knows how many followers out of a particular red espresso cup. <laughs> yes, that's right. A cup. Indeed. Uh, follow at the little red cup on Instagram. Uh, he is a cockney piece of crockery. He's very naughty. Jean-Paul does, in fact, respond to all of the comments and the DMs. I have found this out myself personally because I have sent a number of comments and DMs and been curious about products and woods and various and sundry other things. And imagine my surprise when I asked, I was like, you know, who am I talking to? And he said, oh, this is this is JP or Jean-Paul. And I about fell backwards out of my chair. I thought, you have got to be kidding me. The, the managing director of the company is the one who is responding directly to people that he has never met in his entire life. And so hats off to you, JP, because I think that that's one of the only companies that I can think of, if not the only company, where somebody that is way, way, way up the ladder actually takes time to interface with, quote, the peons. And that would be me in the flute world. I am certainly a peon. Well, I wouldn't say that. Oh, I, I certainly would in the flute world. So with the social media thing, they have done all kinds of different things like teaser pics. They have done things like have like a block of wood for example, in saying things like, guess what this is, or done polls about, do you, do you like gold? Do you like silver? Do you like rose gold? Do you like wood? Do you like this or that? And they've really, in a sense, as you say, Josh, they've really leveraged the power of social media to, first of all, directly connect with the consumer that is buying their instruments. But I think also to communicate with repair techs around the world, number one. Number two, teachers around the world. Number three, distributors that are selling or distributing their instruments in their particular country or block of countries. And so I think it really just sort of keeps the lines of communication open in a way that a lot of other companies really don't have. Yeah, I mean, if you think of any of the sort of really big brands, and you know, we won't name them, but I mean, imagine, uh, you know, getting in touch with the head cheese of, of you know, um, one of the large French Yamaha. instrument makers, right? You know, it's it's just not, it's not something that you would expect, and so it is it is really cool that that happens with TJ uh, because it's you know pretty much a direct consumer to head of company pipeline which is why you see so many cool things on their instagram because you know tj knows that you know if they put out i don't know an artificial granite head joint or something that they're prototyping you know 
there will be lots of eyes on it and they'll get lots of opinions on it. And it's just, it's really cool to see how people react in real time to the ideas that the development team has and how the development team reacts in real time to the feedback from the customers. Okay, so that's a little bit about TJ and how they function and what they're doing with their social media. By all means, do follow their social media. And Josh, what are their handles on social media? It's at TJ Flutes on everything. Okay, great. So having said that, let's sort of dive into the different models of flutes that they make. We're going to start with the C flutes. And then we're going to move to the alto flutes, and then we're going to do the teeny-weeny little piccolos. Josh has played all of these. He has had a hand in developing some of these. He has certainly made his opinions known, I have no doubt whatsoever. I am going to let Josh sort of take the ball and run with it. So first up, according to the TJ website, we have the 10X. So Josh, tell us about the 10X. Yes, the 10X is their beginning student flute, and it has won many, many awards. Um, it is an, it's just an incredible instrument for the price point, and it is designed for people who are just starting to play the flute. It's very easy to play. Uh, it's quite responsive. It's light. Um, it has a, sort of a, a surprisingly rich sound for a silver-plated student instrument. Um, it does have a solid sterling silver lip and riser, uh, which is very uncommon on flutes in that particular category. In the total beginner realm, because usually things are nickel silver or nickel plated, but this is solid silver. Yes, and then the entire thing is silver plated. And as of June of this year, June 2022, the 10X has joined the rest of the TJ lineup in having pointed key arms instead of Y arms. So all TJ flutes now have pointed keys, like all the, the big boy handmade pro flutes do. And the theory behind, and I call it a theory because I'm sure this is up for debate somewhere, but the theory is is that pointed key arms basically gives a little bit more stability to the key cup and the mechanism because there is a longer solder joint and things like that. Right. It is one of those issues that it would cause fistfights in a bar full of drunk flute players if someone brought it up. There are people who firmly believe that a pointed key arm is sturdier uh, and less prone to coming out of adjustment than a flat key arm or a Y arm. Uh, but then there are people who think that it's absolute bollocks, and if you design the key properly, it doesn't need to have an arm on it. And there are flute makers like you know Albert Cooper, his flutes were, were primarily Y-arm. Uh, Chris Abel makes these incredible expensive wood flutes with Y-arms. But, you know, I think most people do agree that aesthetically a pointed key arm, it looks nice. You know, it looks, there's a, there's a, a refinement there that I think people really like to see. It does. It looks, you know, it looks a little bit fancier. It looks a little bit more elegant and uh, we're not going to dive into the technical elements of pointed or Y key arms or whatever because my god there's just not enough time yeah. so okay so the 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 10x is basically considered what they refer to as the first flute yes it is a, it is a beginner flute it's an, um, an entry flute right and would you think that this would be an entry flute for any level of student or just like the teeny weeny little babies or is it going to be perfectly fine for for example a 49 year old who is trying to learn the flute in new york city uh you know i think that if the 49 year old in new york city was on a really tight budget 
you can do a lot worse than the 10X. With the 10X, you also have the option of either a closed or open G sharp. So can you tell us what that is? That is correct. Oh, but before I do, I actually want to go back to the point about the pointed arms. The pointed key arms is actually just for Europe and Asia. So the North American models will still have the Y arms. Sorry, America. The open G sharp does away with the G sharp tone hall on the back of the flute that opens up when you press the pinky key for G sharp. The way the flute was originally designed by Baum, that key did not exist on the back of the flute. And the closed cup next to the third finger that you push down on the other side of the the G sharp arm is the G sharp key. And unlike on all the flutes that we're used to playing, where you push that key down to lift the key up to play G sharp on an open G sharp flute, that key stands open, which is why it's called an open G sharp. And in order to play any pitch below a G sharp, so G natural and everything in the right hand, you have to hold that down. So there's a, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but it is acoustically superior. The whole reason that we have split E mechanisms and donuts and all these, you know, RF modifications and things to try to improve the sound and response of the high E are all because of the closed G sharp and that extra tone hole on the back, which causes some problems with the venting of that note. So an open G sharp flute doesn't need a split E. It has a perfectly wonderful high E and F and F sharp. And once you get used to the fingering, it actually logically makes a lot more sense to hold that finger down than to have it off the key all the time. And it also has the added benefit of stabilizing the instrument because you always have your pinky on that key unless you need it open. So the flute just feels more steady in your hands. And the reason that TJ is doing an open G-sharp version of the 10X is because the open G-sharp system, until fairly recently was much beloved in the UK, where TJ is based. And many of the of today's sort of big flute players, including Denis Boryakov, still play on an open G-sharp flute. So there's sort of a consortium of flute teachers here in the UK that want students to be able to learn the system again. And so TJ said, all right, we'll make a beginner flute and an open G-sharp so that you can teach kids from the beginning, because it is really awkward after 10, 15, 20, 30 years of playing the flute to relearn the fingering system. Right. So you mentioned Denis Boryakov plays on an open G-sharp flute. So does that mean that his teacher, Wibb, or William Bennett, does that mean that Wibb used to play on an open G-sharp flute? It sure does. He was a huge proponent of the open G-sharp, and he is a large part of the reason why uh, so many UK players play on an open G sharp because just about everyone here studied with him or studied with someone who studied with him. Sure, yeah. I mean, he's certainly one of the big wigs in flute pedagogy. Exactly. And the UK loves a tradition. Oh, of course. I think a lot of schools, particularly in wind playing, I think, you know, tradition is something that basically goes hand in hand with wind playing, but certainly probably things like string playing and piano playing and whatnot. Um, I think tradition is just something that's really important. So, okay, so now we move on to the second model, and that is the privilege. So, Josh, tell us about the privilege. Yes. So, the privilege is the first model in the step up line, which TJ calls their performer series. Now, like the 10X, the privilege is also a silver plated tube 
and keywork with a solid 925 silver lip and riser. However, in addition to that setup, uh, the head joint has a different head joint cut, and there's um, quite a lot of hand cutting, overcutting, and undercutting on the embouchure hole. And all of the Performer Series flutes come with a heavyweight engraved crown as standard. So you'll, you feel a big difference between the 10X and the Privilege when you play them. Okay, so that's the Privilege. And then the next model that we have, according to the website, is the TJ958 Silver Voce Head Chanson model. So I'm assuming that, first of all, Chanson is the model of flute, but the Voce is a head joint. And so, Josh, tell us about those things. So the Chanson used to be called, until very recently, the Cantabile. So if you have a TJ Cantabile, it's the same flute. And that adds a solid silver head joint to the silver-plated body. And the Voce head is a, is a recent development by TJ, and I am an absolutely humongous, enormous fan of this head joint. Uh, the Voce head that comes on the Chanson, which is also an option on the Virtuoso, which we'll talk about, is entirely made of 958 silver. Before, before you continue... Tell us what the difference is between 925 and 958 and 990 and all these other different types of silver. Yes, in a nutshell, there are many, many, many different silver alloys that are used in flute making. You know, silver is not silver is not silver, if you will. What we call sterling silver, which is by a huge margin the most common silver alloy used in flute making, is 925 silver which means that it is 925 parts per thousand or 92.5% pure silver. And sterling silver is a mixture of precisely 92.5% silver and 7.5% copper. Now, there are many other silver alloys, and we could do a whole podcast on that. So if you want us to do that, let us know. 958 silver, which is also very frequently called Britannia silver, uh, is 95.8% pure silver. So there is a higher pure silver content in the alloy, and it's mixed with some other things. And depending on where the tubing is made and who alloyed the metal, those other things will vary. But it is nearly 96% pure silver. And it's called Britannia silver because that is, in fact, the silver that British coin currency was made out of. That is correct. So the, the more generally, the more silver you add to an alloy, the denser and more colorful and, and sort of more complex the sound gets. And there are makers that use 99.8% pure silver and 99.7% pure silver. And then there's 995 and 990 and 980 and 985 and 970. There's all sorts of all sorts of silver alloys. And there are silver alloys that have less silver than 925 silver. Um, Haynes, for example, uses a 900 silver alloy, which is called coin silver, very frequently, um, for obvious reasons. So all of them have, you know, they're all technically solid silver. So, you know, it's important if you have something that is silver to look for a number on the body, and this applies to jewelry. Um, the number comes from the the jewelry hallmarking convention where if you look inside a piece of of sterling silver jewelry like inside a silver ring for example if it's sterling silver it will it will have a tiny 925 stamped on the inside um, and that denotes the purity of silver in the alloy and alloys are always broken down into a thousand parts 
And I have even seen this on things like silver cutlery, for example. Yes, silverware is also hallmarked. Anything that is made from from a solid precious metal, um, by most international laws, must be hallmarked. Okay, so back to the flute. So the voce head is, a, uh, as I said, a relatively new thing with TJ. And they have altered the way that head joints are constructed. So traditionally, a flute head joint is made of multiple pieces of metal that are soldered together. So you have the tube, which is obviously the round cylindrical part that goes into the flute. Then there is a riser that is soldered onto a big hole in the tube. And then onto the riser is soldered the lip plate. And then all manner of cutting and filing is done to sort of smooth those edges out on the inside and create the geometry, you know, which is sort of the head joint maker's special sauce that, that makes their head joint sound unique. TJ has simplified that to two pieces instead of three. And so the lip and the riser are cast together as one piece. And then that is applied to the head joint tube. So it's one it's one great big piece yes. that is then put into the tube. It's not three separate pieces. It's in fact one less separate piece, so it's two separate pieces. Right. So there is no separate lip and riser. The lip and riser are one chunk. Um and what that does, of course, is when you're casting something, it enables, you know, a really, really accurate reproduction of that product. Um and any inconsistencies are you know, smoothed out by hand at the end. But there's a, I mean, they're cast to incredible tolerances. And what that also does is because you are eliminating that extra solder joint, which is then filled in with solder or solder, as we say over here, um, which is always less, yes, it's solder. Um, It is less dense than the metal it's joining together, right? And it's sort of flowing in to fill that little gap. So you actually end up with uh, a chunk of metal that is heavier and it's a bit more massive because it's one smooth, solid piece of metal. And what that does in in combination with the heavy crown is it really gives you a depth of sound that you would not expect to find on a flute in that category. And it allows you, if you're a player like myself, for instance, to really push the head and use a lot of air and and really dig some sound out of it without that sound cracking on you. Okay, well that's that's a really interesting thing. So with this casting idea, are there any other flute makers that you can think of that are doing a casting of the riser and the uh the lip plate together? Indeed, there is one, uh and that would be Gemeinhardt with their Crusader head joint and the Crusader head joint is made in exactly the same way. Uh, and the and it is no coincidence that that head joint is probably one of the greatest things I think Gemeinhardt has ever produced. That's a really interesting thing. So this sort of advanced way of making a head joint and eliminating a solder joint and increasing resonance and so on and so forth is not something that the big boys are doing like Brannon or Powell or well, Haynes no, because or look, anything I mean, there's like still, that. There's, there's nothing like one person sitting down for days on end with, you know, old fashioned files and things and soldering together solid gold and then using a tiny magnifying glass and going inside and hand cutting it. I mean, that's that is always going to give you something special and unique. And, and you know, in, on that level of flute, you everything needs to be unique and handmade. And, you know, but when you're trying to churn out 
enough to satisfy the demands of an intermediate market segment, you don't have the time for that kind of handwork, but you still want it to sound really good. And a great way to sort of split that difference is by casting, because then, you know, you come up with a head joint cut and riser dimensions that, that you want, that you think will really work. And then you just make a ton of them at once and it saves a lot of time. It gives you a reproducible, consistent results. And the end result is always really good. I've played, God, I've played so many Boche heads now, dozens of them. Um, and they're just, they're great. They're really, really good. And it really sort of, and they're, the and they're super consistent. They're really consistent, but the sound that you get from them, I think really bumps the instrument up into a, into another level. So that's the Voce head. So now tell us about the Chanson model. So the Chanson, uh, so all three of the Performer Series models are fundamentally identical, save for their material makeup. So we're starting with the Privilege, right, which is just a silver lip and riser, and then we're adding a whole solid silver head joint for the Chanson, and then the next step up, we'll add a solid silver body tube. So you're just adding more silver content, but the fundamental design of the instrument stays the same. Okay, great. So that's the chanson, and then we move into the virtuoso, which I'm guessing, since you said it adds more silver, now we have a solid silver head and body tube and foot joint, but with plated keys, is that right? That is correct. There is only one model of TJ Flute that has solid silver keys, and we haven't talked about that yet. Um, so yes, yeah, so the virtuoso we are. So the virtuoso has a nine two five silver body tube, and also the nine five eight voce head. So that's that's the virtuoso. So you know we, we're adding more silver, more yes. silver, more and silver. And with with the addition of the solid silver body, that that makes it possible or easier, I should say, to start being able to add some options to your flute. So the Virtuoso model is available with a C-sharp trill key. Ooh, I love a C-sharp trill key. Yes, I would rather die than play a flute that does not have one. And so you can get that on the Virtuoso. And the Virtuoso is also available with some engraving on the keys, if you like. Uh, a D-sharp roller. My favorite Oh, option. rollers! Oh, we God. love rollers. We're going to talk about rollers. Do not go off on your roller tangent. Oh, I love rollers, though. Okay, I know, so you there's love only one so roller. Po- there's there's only one roller possible on the flute, and that is on the D sharp or the E flat key. Well, there are so actually. I will promise. <laughs> there are already two rollers on a B foot flute, and some fr- uh, Japanese makers will actually also do a roller on the C sharp key. But that is a digression. So yes, so you can add those options, engraving, and my favorite option that becomes available on the Virtuoso model, because we all know that Josh Johnson likes one thing more than anything else in the world of flutes, and that is gold. So the TJ Virtuoso is available uh, with various configurations of a very heavy and beautifully done 14-carat rose gold plating, or more recently, and this this really curls my eyelashes, a twenty four karat gold coating. Ooh, it's very it's very saxophone mouthpiecey looking. It's really stunning. Um, and there are photographs of these instruments on TJ's Instagram. I really encourage you to look at them because they are absolutely jewel worthy. 
Um, and if you scroll far enough down my own Instagram, at JostJNYC, um, you will also find pictures of some of the gold-plated ones, and you will find videos of me playing a TJ Virtuoso that is completely plated in 14 karat gold with full key engraving, because I had one for a few months, borrowed from my friend Philippe Barnes, who has it. Um, we traded, and he traded me for my wood flute. Yes, that is the thing. That the gold plating is lovely. It's wonderful. And it is done. Okay, now now on the website, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but on the website they call it gold bonded. That just means it's it's heavily plated. I know, but I think that it's an important thing to say to our listeners that fourteen karat gold bonded is the same as fourteen karat gold plated, but TJ does do things a little bit differently. They don't just send it off to a plater and say put three microns of gold over top of it so that it looks gold. They, in fact, do a much, much heavier version of the plating so that it actually significantly increases the weight of the flute. Am I correct? Yes. So the flutes are plated by a specialist jeweler in Hatton Garden, which is the jewelry district of central London. So they are done by the same procedure, the same people that are doing incredibly expensive pieces of jewelry. And it's plated in the same way. And the plating thickness on the gold-plated flutes is 10 microns, which I understand is two to four times thicker than the silver plating on many of our favorite clarinets. That is correct. So that's a lot of gold. And it's a great option for people who have, you know, that sort of horrible sulfuric body oil and sweat that blackens silver immediately. And, well, it is a non-reactive metal, as is platinum and rhodium and other things. But I think that when people come into my shop, one of the things that I see the most often for people who have really acidic chemistry is that the silver plating actually will peel off. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, you know, we we have a friend who does that as well. Hi, Jeremy. Oh, hi, Jeremy. Oh, he eats through silver like... Right. We're going to get to Jeremy in a little bit later portion of the episode. Oh, special guest star in absentia. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, other people have made special guest spots in our podcast. Little did they know, but so why not Jeremy? Exactly. So Anyway, you were saying. Okay, so, 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 so the Virtuoso is available in a number of different options, including... The 925 silver with the 958 silver voce head joint, the 14 karat rose gold bonded or plated version. And Josh, can you tell me what the obsession right now is with rose gold over yellow gold? Because I on, I honestly just don't I can't get tell it. you. It's look, Americans. That's all I have to say. I don't know. Americans. I, rose gold. Rose gold is lovely. But, you know, when you yank gold out of the ground, is it pink? Nar. It's yellow. Gold is yellow. I like yellow gold because it says, hey, this is gold. And I do not have a problem with things being rose or yellow or this, that, or the other thing. But I am curious, is there a sonic difference for you, especially when it comes to flute playing? Because I have a Dana Sheridan head joint on my flute, and it has a 14-karat rose gold lip and riser. And I have often wondered, like, my God, why did they bother with rose gold? Why didn't they just do yellow gold? So what what is the difference sonically for you, if, if there is any? Well, again, this could, I'm going to try not to tangent here. 
Um, 14 karat gold is almost universally rose. It's hard to quantify those differences because the yellow gold that you see in flute making is generally from the Japanese, and it's generally 18 karat or higher. So then you're getting into, well, what's the difference between 18 karat gold and 14 karat gold or 24 karat gold and 14 karat gold or whatever? Um, and that's the same discussion that we literally just had yeah. about the 925 versus the 958 and the 990. So what I will say is that in order to make rose gold rose, what you need to add to the alloy is a somewhat significant amount of copper. And copper is very soft. Now, 14 karat gold can be made very, very hard. If you were to put, and there are some German makers who do 14 karat yellow gold, and I have played 14 karat yellow, rose, and white golds next to each other in a row. Um, and there is definitely a difference. The rose gold was the roundest of them, sort of the warmest, if you will, with the white gold being almost platinum-y. It was quite a, quite a strong sound with a bit of an edge to it because in order to make white gold, you have to either add substantial amounts of nickel or palladium to the alloy. Or silver, quite frankly. But, well, if you add silver to gold and don't temper it with other things, what you actually get is green gold. You could get, that's correct. Right. Which has, a, a again, a different sound. I was hoping that you would go there because there are flute makers that use green gold. There sure are. Check my Instagram. And I think green gold is one of the most beautiful things in the entire universe. But oh, again, we can do an because entire yeah. episode on well, all I kinds think, of metal I think we alloys should, Because there is a massive metallurgy component to musical instrument making. And I think we both really enjoy that. Right. Anyway. Um, so yes, so they all sound different. But rose gold is what people like. Okay, so having said that, now, so we've covered the virtuoso model of the TJ flutes. And now, speaking of metals and different alloys and whatnot, now we have this newest thing that I absolutely adore the look of because I have all kinds of things in my house that have this particular alloy. We have a copper body flute with a silver lip and riser. So I have copper cookware. I have... Uh, I, I have copper mugs. I have all kinds of copper things sort of all over the place because quite frankly, I just think that, you know, the, the color of copper is really beautiful. But how does it make the flute a different thing now that we're dealing with the copper body? Well, you mentioned all of your cooker and things, but that will be copper colored, you know, sort of red, coppery looking. This is not that color. This is an 85% copper alloy with some other things mixed in. So what it actually is, is brass. It's a brass flute. And it's the color of brass. So it's yellowy. It's a, it's a lovely sort of, it looks like gold, actually, from a distance or even up close. It looks quite like gold. And the body is lacquered to preserve the finish because, you know, high purity copper alloys do tend to patina over time and that is not what most people want except if you're a saxophone player well yes and we'll get to that in a second because there is a raw option for the alto flute in copper but i digress right. so the copper c flute was developed after the copper alto flute because the copper alto flute proved so popular and the reason why is because it is substantially lighter than silver or nickel silver, it's it's a really light instrument. So it's great if you have carpal tunnel or tendonitis or bursitis or 
tennis elbow or nerve damage or whatever, you know, if you, if you need a lightweight flute, um, you know, it's lighter than even thin wall silver flutes. And I was a part of the birth of this instrument. It was, it was one of the things that I worked on with TJ over time. Uh Oh, here, here comes the plug. Josh Johnson, New York city. The plug. I mean, it's not really a plug. I'm just saying what I did. Here she comes. Um, so the copper flute you will find uh, is supplied with a copper alloy tube voce head joint with a 958 lip and riser. Now, when I played the copper prototypes, they were made with a standard sterling silver lip and riser, three-part, you know, traditional head joint. And it was fine. I mean, it sounded good. It was warm and zingy and all these sorts of things. But there happened to be a flute with a voce head in the room. And I stuck the voce head on the copper body. And I screamed for JP to come into the room and sit down. And I said, you have to listen to this. And I played it for him back to back with the original head joint. And we both just agreed, oh, my God, the copper flute has to have a voce head. So they made a special voce head with the copper tubing. And that is what is on the flute. And that is how they all come because it adds a huge amount of depth to the sound. Because again, the copper is really, really light. And so there is, you know, a danger that a very lightweight flute can become very edgy and very bright and not terribly pleasant to listen to. And the voce head really just ameliorated all of that, as did the decision to do the posts rings and ribs in the copper alloy as well okay all right so it looks like a gold flute but it's not a gold flute correct it feels a lot lighter so it's pre it's a really big addition to the instruments that function in terms of people who have disabilities or muscular issues or issues with the weight of their instruments. Right, or just don't like to hold a heavy flute. Right, and I I think that that is one of the things that I think a lot of instrument makers are really sort of latching onto in a sense. They have figured out that, oh my God, of course people have disabilities and medical issues and muscular or neurological issues and so we should make instruments that quite frankly cater to them or not necessarily cater to them but make it possible for them to do the thing that they really like to do in a much easier fashion. I think this particular flute, this copper body flute as well as the copper body alto flute, of course things do sound different depending on the alloy that they are made out of. And we can have a discussion all day long. Is is it the alloy that things are made out of? Is it the dimensionality of things? Right. We're going to get those comments from those cranky internet warriors who were like, the material doesn't make a difference. and It's, it's the player. And there's been scientifically proven that the material makes no difference. Like, okay, well. Right. Let's hear you play the Cacciatorian Concerto on flutes made of 10 different materials and see how you feel about it. Well, there's that. But then there's the fact that the material may not necessarily make any difference in terms of a spectrographic analysis or anything like that. But I'll tell you what, it certainly does make a difference for the end user who is playing the instrument. Absolutely. Rosewood, it feels for example, different. is a much, yeah, it feels different. It weighs different. You know, I, I can tell you in the clarinet world, a rosewood instrument, for example, feels markedly lighter or a bubinga instrument feels markedly lighter than a grenadilla instrument. 
And quite frankly, there are people that have all kinds of different issues in terms of, again, whether it's neurological or physical or muscular or what have you. But these things are something that need to be accounted for in the musical instrument world because there are a lot of people out there that want to continue making music, but that just want it to be a little bit easier for them physically. Yeah, absolutely. Now we have covered all of the sort of beginning and then intermediate models. Now we move on to the handmade versions of TJ. There are two models, one of which is called the Aria and the other is called the Concerti. So Josh, I'm assuming that these models are not particularly different from each other aside from materials, but tell us about those two models. So these two models are made with soldered tone holes or soldered tone holes for the British. And the Aria is made with a silver-plated mechanism, but everything else is solid silver. And the Concerti is entirely solid silver, including the keywork. And a full complement of any options that you would find on any flute is available on those. So C-sharp trill, G-sharp roller, full engraving, gold plating, platinum plating, rodent plating. They are special order, so you're... I was going to say, and those particular flutes are basically made to order. Yes, so you're not going to walk into sort of, you know, Flute Center of New York or Flute World or Flutatious or whatever and be able to buy one. So if you want one, what you the best thing to do is contact TJ, talk to JP, and get that going for you. But they are really, really good. And there are there are people in the world, such as Andrew Nicholson in Australia, who have actually decided to play on these instruments as their professional full-time work instruments because they sound really good and they are beautifully made um, and a lot of attention goes into finishing them and they're still they're you know half the price of a of a sterling silver handmade soldered tone hole flute from any other maker okay it says on the website that the head joints are cut by a particular person or the flute makers guild or whatever so can can you tell me about that yes so the flute makers guild was a group of Flute Makers here in London, so the Flute Makers Guild of London. I don't know how many of them are left. I think at this point, it's just Andrew Oxley and Mike Allen. And Andrew Oxley is one of the best head joint makers that has probably ever lived. And he does all of the wooden head work for TJ, as well as the virtuoso heads. And when someone does order one of the recital flutes, um, they're called the recital flutes in the rest of the world, by the way, then he also cuts the head joints on those. And they do actually come engraved with the Flute Makers Guild logo, not the TJ logo. Okay, well that's an interesting thing to know. I mean, the Flute Makers Guild is sort of legendary. Yes. And can you tell me why do they have different model names for different countries? So, it's the Aria and the Concerti and then it's the this or that or the other thing. Yeah, so in North America, in the Americas, they're the Aria and the Concerti. In the rest of the world, it's the Recital 1 and the Recital 2 and that's all down to marketing. It's because America prefers to have things with lovely fancy names. That's why in the 90s, all of us clarinet players will remember those instruments I loved so much and played on for most of my career. The LeBlanc Opus and Concerto and Infinity and Ambiance and Sonata and Esprit and Eternité and Buffet has the Tosca and the Legende and they have the Elite and the Prestige and well that's just how marketing works and you know that you own a shop. But it doesn't mean that I like it because it's really frustrating to try and describe 
well, this instrument is called this in this country, but it's called this and this in that country. And it's really the same thing. And you try convincing somebody of that that has bought an instrument, for example, overseas, and they're like, oh, no, it says it's this model. I'm like, well, it's actually this. And they look at you like you have three heads. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. That's just how it works. These are decisions that are often made by the distributors in various countries. All right. So going back to the handmade models. So you said that they have soldered tone holes. And so all of the other flutes prior to that, they are drawn tone holes. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So we have soldered tone holes or soldered tone holes if you're living in the UK and pronounce things incorrectly, even though it's called English. So then we have a wooden flute. Oh my God, a wooden flute. How dare we? Yeah, what do you mean, how dare we? Wood flutes, so wood flutes are absolutely the hottest thing in the flute world right now. Everyone's doing one. But the thing about wood flutes is that they're very expensive. You know, the Sankyo and the Powell are both well over $15,000 now. Well, because they're handmade, first of all, there's a tremendous amount of waste involved in the process of making a wood flute, Uh, you know, and you might get to the end of the process and the whole thing cracks. So cracking is an issue with regard to wood flutes. No more than it is with any other instrument, but I'm talking about in the manufacturing process, you have to build in the fact that you are going to lose material and you have to build that into the final price. You also have to build in the years it took of R&D to get the instrument to the market. And, you know, most of the people who are making wood flutes now are relatively new to doing wood flutes. They've only been doing it for 10 or 20 years, you know, as opposed to 50 or 60 or 70. So, you know, they have to recoup those costs, but also handmade flutes, a handmade silver flute is 10, 11, 12, $14,000 because it just takes time and handmade flutes are expensive. And there's no way around that because you have to pay the people who make them. I certainly hear that. However, I would argue that wood is significantly cheaper when we're talking about raw materials. It is significantly cheaper than silver or gold. So how is it that flute makers are arriving at these sort of astronomical prices? And I'm not talking about TJ because I think TJ's wooden flute is actually about half the price of all of the others. It is less than half the price of all of the others, in fact. So TJ makes a wooden flute. Okay, so it's Grenadilla, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, and the mechanism is silver-plated or solid silver? It is a silver-plated mechanism. Um, And right now they are all being made with the same configuration. So if you're one of the crazy seafoot people, please stop asking when the C foot is going to happen, I don't know. They are all made with a B foot, open holes, split E, and half offset G. Okay. And there you go. There is no C foot. There is no closed hole. There is no C sharp trill yet. Those things are all coming. Uh, and there will be, no doubt, a great deal of fanfare on social media to let you know when those things are happening. So the wood flute has been in development for a very long time. They tried this project about seven or eight years ago, but it just, it didn't work. It didn't work out. It wasn't, it wasn't where they wanted it to be. So they shelved it for a while, went back to the drawing board and David Farley, who is TJ's head technician and an incredible human being and a very good tech um, and a great flutist. And he is a great admirer of the late Rudel Cart company. If you are familiar with those flutes at all, 
one look at the TJ Wood flute, and you can tell that there is some Rudolkart DNA in this instrument. First and foremost, unlike just about every other wood flute on the market, it does not have a standard tenon into body flute style head joint. It is built like an enormous piccolo with what we call a cork joint. And so the head actually fits both inside and over the body, and it's corked like a giant piccolo. And there is a bulge there, sort of a bulb in the head joint where it connects to the body. So they've, they've made the wood thicker there to add some more stability and some more mass. And it really does enhance the sort of woodiness of the sound of the instrument. Uh, and the head joint, again, is cut by Andrew Oxley. And they're just fantastic. Now we move on to the segment of the harmony flutes. And I think that TJ probably put itself on the map because of their harmony flutes. And I would argue that at least insofar as the polling and research and talking with players and things that I have done, that they're probably the most popular harmony flutes on the market. And when we say harmony flutes, we're talking about alto flutes and bass flutes. They are available in the Performer series, and then they have something called the Recital Range, and these for alto, these are for alto flutes. Then for bass flutes, there is only one version available. But let's start with the alto flutes. So, Josh, we have the Performer series, and that is available in either a silver-plated or copper body. So tell us about those. Correct. So... The silver-plated instrument has a solid sterling silver lip and riser, as does the copper instrument. They're quite different. Sonically, the copper obviously is a much warmer, rounder, deeper, denser sound, but the silver-plated, I think, has a bit more edge and projects a bit better. I personally play on a silver-plated TJ. Mine has both C and B foot joints because, again, I am Josh Johnson and I am special. I demand specialness. I am the only person in the world that has a B-foot TJ alto flute at the moment. Yes, of course you are. Very happy about that. Um, there are more B-foot joints, though, down at, down at HQ. And, you know, they could be they could be in the hands of other people. None of us commoners will ever have access to those things that are specifically reserved for Joshua Johnson. Well, look, I mean, there's... There's enough that I think at least half a dozen of you could. But if someone else got a B-foot, then I would have to do something crazy to mine, like get it all 24-karat gold-plated or something. <laughs> I must be unique. Okay, great. So <laughs> if you ever need to see about Josh Johnson's uniqueness, please visit his Instagram and look at his <laughs> jacket collection. So we have the Performer Series, which is available in silver-plated or copper body. Now, I am actually the newest owner of a TJ silver-plated version. So I tried both the silver-plated and the copper body. What I really wanted was the black nickel, but they have discontinued that because of all of the plating laws in England and Europe and whatnot yes. with regard to nickel. Yes. I elected to go with the silver-plated version because I found exactly the same thing to be true that you just mentioned. I feel like there's a little bit more edge I feel like the copper body is a little bit rounder. It's also a little bit sort of softer sound. Yes, and it's it's. I, I used the copper body pretty extensively at work a few years ago when I had a show on Broadway, and 
I'm I'm a pushy player. I really like to try to get as much sound out as I possibly can. And I found that it's just really hard to put an edge on the sound. It's hard to, to sort of ugly up the sound of the copper. It just always wants to be round and warm and beautiful. And that is the same thing that I find coincidentally with the Yamaha alto flute, which is an absolutely stunning sound. It's incredible. Um, but I can't really peel the paint off the wall with it, which is what I would like to do sometimes. You know, I find that I can do that with the silver instrument. Okay, so now the silver-plated version, at least the one that I got, has some sort of like rose-goldy-looking crown in it. Ah, yes, yes. Mine does not. I have an, I have an older one. Um, but yes, the new ones all come with a rose-gold-plated crown. All right, so those are the Performer Series, and I think they are probably the most popular alto flutes on the planet. And I tried multiple different models from multiple different makers. And one of the things I think that is really critical when you're looking for an alto flute is to find something that, first of all, feels comfortable in your hands. And when you find something that is comfortable in your hands, pretty much all other things sort of become secondary, as it were. Right. Okay, so the TJ, for me, felt so much more comfortable than any of the other versions out there. And they are available with either straight or curved head joints. You can either get one or the other, or if you decide to pay enough money, you can get both. Then we have something called the recital range in the alto flute. So here we have yet another fancy term for a different level of flute. Um, So what is the difference between the recital range and the performer series, Josh? Well, it follows, just like in the C flutes, the recital flute is is basically the fancy alto flute, and it comes with, you know, a handmade uh, Mike Allen Flute Makers Guild head joint. It's a fancier instrument. It's got the pointed keys, and there's some, some options that are available on it that are not necessarily available on the Performer Series. Like, like what? Like some various gold plating options. You can get, you know... Golds, platinum, rhodium. Um, you can get a roller on the C sharp key. It already has a roller on the D sharp key, uh, and you can even get solid nine carat or fourteen carat gold uh, lip or riser or both. So it's a more bespoke instrument that has more precious metal. Yes, absolutely. And also, this is very important to note: it is only available with a straight head joint. From the alto flutes to the bass flutes, there is only one version of the TJ bass flute available, but it includes something that is extraordinary when it comes to the world of bass flutes, in that it has all of the trill keys. It does have trill keys, yes. Uh, what it does not have is the B-flat lever for the right first finger. Uh, but it does have trill keys. It has a solid 925 lip and riser. The rest of it's silver plated. It has soldered tone holes. And it comes with a lovely wooden left-hand support crutch that is handmade. Uh, and it's a really nice instrument. It's a great instrument. It has a fantastic scale, like all of the TJ flutes. It's very well in tune. And it does actually project quite nicely. Bass flutes tend to be very quiet. But the, the TJ can really, really put out some sound. Now, we move back into the world of wood, and we're going to talk about 
piccolos. So the only two TJ instruments that I own is an alto flute and silver plating, and I own a TJ piccolo, which incidentally is now currently being played on Into the Woods in Broadway, along with maybe Josh's Rosewood piccolo as well. But I have a blackwood body and I have a Mapani head joint. And I have a Mapani head joint because that's what Josh told me I should buy. So that's what I bought. God, I wonder how many people out there could say the same thing. Well, that's what Josh told me to buy. Well, that's, that's what Josh told me to buy, and so that's what I bought. So now we have the piccolos. Tell us about the TJ piccolos. Yes, so the TJ piccolos are available in three configurations. You can get all Grenadilla wood. You can get Grenadilla wood with a Mopane head joint, or you can get all rosewood. And the rosewood piccolo is a Dalbergia, which if you listen to our first episode, you will know that Mopane is not. It looks like it, but it is not. Correct. On all of them, the head joints are cut by Andrew Oxley. And there are two different cuts you can get. There's a sort of modified, reformed wave, and there is a traditional cut. I am a very, 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 very grand fan of the wave style. It's a gentle wave. It's not crazy. It's really, it's very nice. I am also a fan of the wave because when it helps this poor 49-year-old person trying to figure out how to play the flute and the piccolo and the alto flute try to do is direct the air in the correct position. And let me tell you, as a clarinet player who is trying to double on flutes and piccolos and alto flutes and whatnot, that is nothing to be underestimated because, dear God, Please give me a funnel that tells me where to put my airstream. Yeah, it's helpful. The wave is helpful in that regard. It really does sort of channel the air to the right spot for you. But it's not such an extreme wave that if you aren't a more advanced player, you can't sort of make your own choices on where to where to put the air. Um, right. And and with all of the big piccolo makers like Burkhart and Keefe and all that other stuff, you can get either a wave head joint or a standard head joint without the wave. And you sure can. I think both are fine. They're both fine. It's just a matter of preference. Yeah. And they do say they respond very easily. They sound really sweet and lovely. The tuning is great on them. The wood is actually really good. They have a, a wood supplier for these instruments that has a supply of very well-aged wood. So cracking isn't really is going to be a worry. Is it naturally aged or is it, it kiln-dry? It is naturally aged, in fact. Okay, great. And they're just they're just wonderful, wonderful little things. And all of them are, I, I want to say they're all under $2,000. The rosewood in the U.S. might be slightly more, but... No, they are all under $2,000 in the United States. But they're just so good. They all have silver-plated keys. So I, I own one of these piccolos. Josh picked it out for me with the help of Jean-Paul. And again, Jean-Paul, thank you so, 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 so much for everything that you've done for me. I'm really grateful for that. But I play these instruments because I really like them. And the TJ piccolos, for me... Having played lots of different piccolos, I went over to Flute Center and I played all kinds of different piccolos. These piccolos were just really easy for me to play, first of all. As a technician, I looked at these piccolos. The mechanism was really solid. They're using Pisoni pads, which a lot of, you know, budget piccolo makers are not necessarily doing. They're using Pisoni knockoff pads or they're using Pristini pads or something like that. But these are genuine Pisoni pads. 
the mechanism functions very evenly. It feels very comfortable. It feels ergonomically sound in the hands. And I have kind of bigger hands. And so, you know, I'm a little bit like Slappy the Seal playing the piccolo. <laughs> and for me, I was just sort of like, oh, my God, this is really comfortable. First of all, in sound production. Secondly, in terms of evenness of sound. Thirdly, in terms of this mechanism feels so great in my hands and I thought, this is really something that's going to appeal to a lot of different people because suddenly you don't have to, like, reinvent the wheel in terms of, like, oh, my God, how am I going to play the piccolo? Right. Now, what is the difference between a Grenadilla piccolo and a Rosewood piccolo? Why do they make it in two different woods? Tell us all about Here, it. Here, darling, I think we should refer people back to our first episode Rosewood is much less dense. Rosewood is sweeter. It is softer. Whereas Grenadilla is much more direct because it's, it's quite a bit denser, so it projects better. I am a big fan of the Rosewood. I don't think the Piccolo particularly needs help projecting because it's a goddamn Piccolo. Nope. You're going you're <laughs> to you. hear it. You're going to hear it. Just like I feel about the E-flat clarinet, I think anything you can do to sand off some of the edges of that sound is fantastic. Love my rosewood. Love my rosewood, TJ Pick. The Grenadilla obviously is traditional, and that's what people tend to want. But I just think that there is something so sweet and lovely about the sound of the rosewood piccolo. And it's quite light. It's really light in the hands. Uh, well, I mean, if a piccolo was not light in the hands, then I would wonder who in God's <laughs> name made the damn thing. Well, I mean, compared um, to the Grenadilla. So, okay. So, to sum up this episode, one of the things that... I and I can speak very candidly because I am not an endorser or what have you. And so I will take the microphone from Josh and I will say that one of the things that I truly appreciate about TJ is, first of all, their constant pursuit in terms of innovation. But secondly, and probably not even secondly, I think primarily is their want to make instruments that are, first of all, affordable, but secondly, high quality, and that come in a various arrangement of different options, materials, um, head joint cuts, and what have you. Because I think that they're aware that flute players, whether they're amateurs or professionals or doublers or retirees or what have you, I think that TJ has sort of tried to make the flute accessible for every single level of player. So, TJ, thank you for your commitment to the flute, for your commitment to all levels of players of the flute. And Jean-Paul, thank you so much for taking care of this 49-year-old flute beginner over here in New York City. And I'm most grateful also for your involvement of Josh, because I think Josh is one of those people that has a lot to say in terms of representing various constituencies in the industry. And I think he's also tremendously knowledgeable when it comes to materials. Do, in fact, stay tuned for some more non-flute instruments coming from TJ in the future. Right, and there's a little bit of a teaser, and 
to find out about the rest of the teasers and whatnot, you will just have to tune into TJ's social media at TJ Flutes. So for all of us, meaning all two of us, Josh Johnson in London and Michael Norsworthy in New York City, thank you for listening to So Many Instruments, So Little Time, and please tune in for our next episode where we will be discussing all manners and varieties of Ubel instruments. Oh, dun dun dun. Please be sure to subscribe, follow our social media at So Many Instruments Podcast, and we hope to hear from you in the comments. Thanks for listening. Good night.